0: What's happening Rebels? I've been trying to record this for a while. I got barky dogs in the background. I apologize. It's what happened when you've got a home studio. When the dogs bark, what are you going to do? We got a good pod for you today. Tish Oxenreiter here talking about their worldwide trip with her family and how to feel at home no matter where you are. Ooh, it is a good pod today. Sponsored by our friends at Save the Storks. Save the storks.com building mobile ultrasound units, and partnering with pregnancy resource centers to help those moms who are in need right now, wherever they are. Man, do I love that organization. Savethestorks.com Let's jump into it. Here's the latest edition of Rebel Parenting. Tish, thank you so much for coming on Rebel Parenting. Uh, We've been into your book, At Home in the World, and the story about how you met your husband, Kyle, is great. Can we start with that? And then we're going to jump into your story of your family and the family adventure. But this is kind of a great jumping off point.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm happy to talk about it. I like I like the story, too. Um, so Kyle and I were both working overseas in the late 90s, about early 2000. And we were single. We were, you know, doing our own thing. And we were both um, sent to Kosovo. So Kosovo is this little area that a lot of people, uh, at least Americans, don't even know where it is. Um, it's part of the former Yugoslavia and the Balkans. And if you know your history at all, this is, you know, in early 2000, this is right after when Milosevic did his terrible stuff in that mm. area. And yeah. so both of us were there independently doing kind of our our way of helping heal the land. So Kyle was a... Um, he's a former contractor. So he's helping rebuild houses. And I was helping teach English to students who had not been able to go to school for 20 years. And so, um, we were doing our thing and we met in this tiny little village. You know, I was in this, um, village of about, uh, 500 people and there's literally one dirt road. And so whenever you hear about a new American coming in to move into town, that's a big, big deal.
3: Mm.
2: And so, um, the team I was working with, we drew short straws about who was going to get out in the heat and invite this new person to dinner with us that night. <laughs> That's classic. And, yeah, yeah. And I literally how drew short straw.
0: <laughs> how hot and was so,
2: it? How, oh, you know what? For a Texan, it wasn't that bad. It was like 90 <laughs> degrees, All right. but, um, there's no AC and it's just the infrastructure is different. So it feels a lot hotter. We forget than, what um, it's
0: like to have zero air conditioning anywhere. It's not like, well, there's right. no AC in my car or in my office, but anywhere as far <laughs> as we can get, there's no AC yeah. and it's 90 all day.
2: Yeah. Right, right. Very little relief. So staying inside and once you get cool is a big deal. So, mm-hmm. um, so I went out and met him and, you know, we both, we honestly can point to the spot on the dirt road where we literally met. And so that was, um, when we met, but it, it took a while. It took a little bit of time before we actually knew that there was something more there, mm. because then I, I, actually went back to the state for a little bit, then came back. And by the time I'd come back, he had moved on to a different village. Mm. And so it became this, um, kind of a classic relationship where we were quote just friends, you know? Yeah. And, um, and we did this whole like song and dance where I didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have internet access. Um, I didn't have any sort of vehicle. So it was always just a, a total guessing game when we would see each other, even though this country is really tiny. Um, but whenever we did, it was always kind of a fun thing for us. And um, that's how our relationship started.
3: That's how cool. Awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. I like your love story.
2: Yeah.
0: Definitely. And so I you kind of were an adventurous couple already to begin with.
2: Right. I mean, we like to say that it's in our DNA because we were separately mm. on our own interested in both living overseas and, and doing that kind of humanitarian type work. And so um, it wasn't like one of us had to con- convince the other person that it was a worthwhile career
3: path or anything. Mm-hmm. So, Tish, why did you embark on this journey with your family?
2: Well, so after the Kosovo thing, we, you know, after we had married and our first um, our, our oldest was born we moved to turkey and we had lived wow. in turkey for about three years and my our second was born there and you know without getting into the nitty-gritty details we had to suddenly come back
3: mm. rather
2: unexpectedly meaning we thought we were going to live there you know super long time or whenever mm. and um we just had to come back mostly for health related reasons and mm. and i was uh, pregnant with my third when we came back and he was born in the States and he was, I don't remember, a few weeks old when we kind of, I, I kind of had this thinking realization of like, you know, one of my favorite things about living overseas was raising our kids um, globally with kind of a, it was an easy way to give our kids a bigger global perspective mm. um, just by, you know, living where we live. Yeah. And Kyle, Kyle kind of helped me realize, you know, he he said one evening, you know, just because we live in the States doesn't mean we can't still explore the world in our own way. Mm. We can still live here and still go out and see the world. And so we decided when our youngest is a newborn, you know, whenever we can, let's just start setting aside dog earning some money for this, you know, nebulous idea of a trip around the world at some point. but mm. still just travel together as a family. And so, honestly, the easiest uh, shorthanded way of explaining why we did this big trip is because we wanted to. You know, and sometimes people want kind of a bigger, more deeper spiritual reason. Yeah. And there are some of those layers there. There really are some of those layers. But the overarching reason is simply we wanted to. We wanted mm-hmm. to show our kids the world. And we thought, what a great you know, the best way to do it is directly, you know, literally showing them the world. And we had jobs where we could work from anywhere. We didn't know how long that would last. So we just wanted to take advantage of it while we had the freedom there.
0: Yeah. well, it's great to teach your kids that, that you can just be adventurous. You don't have to wait for something. There's not this litany and this list of things you've got to get done. You just said, Hey, we can do this. We can raise global kids. And it's hard to have that global perspective when you're in the Western world.
2: It is. It is. We we can just accidentally really be pretty insular. And, and, you know, I don't think any of us mean to do that, but it it does take a bit of intention to actually get out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I guess the the thing we really wanted was to not wait to do what a lot of people do once they're empty nesters. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we didn't want to wait until all our ducks were in a row Mm -hmm. because who knows when that'll be, or if that would ever happen and what that even meant. And, with with just how our world works, you know how global it is, and um, with all the digital resources, we realized that we could pretty easily still do our you know working, schooling kind of mm. life um, while we backpacked.
3: Hmm. So I have a question. My dad did something similar with us and threw us on a boat and tried to sail halfway around the world, and it was like the hmm. best experience of our life. Um, can two you tell me? Two and a half years. L- yeah, two and a half years. Can you tell me a little okay. bit about? what your friends were telling you, your family members, any of that kind of response you were getting from your crew. Yeah,
2: I had we had a pendulum, yeah, you know, or we had a big spectrum. We had, on one end of things, people saying, oh my gosh, that just sounds so tiring. That doesn't sound <laughs> worth it. All the what ifs, you know, there's a yeah. lot of unknowns. You could get sick, you could get hurt. What if you run out of money? Just a whole bunch of mm. like safety or risk related reasons all the way to the other extreme of, oh, man, that sounds amazing. We wish we could do that. Mm. And we felt somewhere in the middle where it was like, yeah, we see all those risks. We're not just going to be irresponsible and just assume there aren't going to be any potential risks. But at the same time, those risks are worth it. You know, we could see the good outweighing the bad. And yet at the same time, you know, yeah, we hear everyone saying we wish we could do that. But we kind of take the stance of like, you probably can, you know, and we don't you don't have to wait until maybe you even have a particular type of job or, you know, we we don't make just an outrageous amount of money. We're very average people. And so um, we didn't think of ourselves as some like amazing rock star sort of adventurers at the same time. We just felt like this is what seems to be the natural thing we want to do.
0: Yeah, you know, a lot of the things people are asking you really at that fear base, you know, well, what if this happens? Mm-hmm. What if that happens? It's, it's in fear. How do you and your husband overcome that? Because we believe that. We believe experience is so important. Experience is so much more valuable than money that we try to do that with our children and fear can hold people back. Well, you know, they're tired they the little or they might get hurt School or, you know, or in foreign other... countries, what all the yeah. what ifs, how do you guys combat the fear while still remaining wise?
2: Right. You know, the funny thing is, I wasn't, um, I'm not a natural worrier. So the things that I guess would be considered classic um, risks didn't bother me, Mm. really. I just felt like I I looked at them rather practically and kind of said, Well, I feel like the risks are worth it, because you the, the all the thing, anything that was a question mark could still happen if we were home. So like, yeah, you know, eating eating something that gives you food poisons. That can happen here. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Some kind of traffic-related accident. situation or whatever, yeah. like an accident. That can happen here. Like all these things that we kind of projected onto out there, quote, mm. still happens in here. Could and happen so, in your own neighborhood. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So when you realize, kind of practically speaking, it's like, oh, well, that shouldn't keep me back. Mm. The weird fears for me had a lot more to do with, like, fear of what people thought. Yeah. That, that became my biggest, quote, fear. It was like, will people think I am being irresponsible? Will Mm -hmm. people think I am, um, I don't know, not being a good parent? Right. Even like from us visiting the country, what will the people we encounter think? Will they mm-hmm. um, be welcoming? There's a lot of that kind of fear that mm. ended up, you know, you don't know what that's going to be like until you just take the chance and do it. And what was um, it like?
0: So, What did people say? Did you, ever, did you have people say that you're a bad parent, you're being irresponsible, this is bad for your kids? Did you have any of that?
2: Nobody ever said it directly <laughs> to our face. And hmm. so for me, it was a realization of like, there's all, especially someone who does a lot of stuff online, you know, I'm a podcaster and a writer yeah. mm-hmm, and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, am willing to put myself out there. There's always going to be opinions that you can't control. Yeah, the haters some other will hate. And, yeah. And, and that's so, I mean, to a large degree, that's okay because we can't control that. Yeah. And so I never really had anyone directly to me that knew me well say, are you sure that's a good idea? Mm. Uh, the grandparents definitely were nervous, you know, yeah, and for um, sure. they wanted they wanted to know all the time where we were, mm-hmm. how things were, you know, all that kind of stuff. Sure, but sure. that we were used to that from even living in Kosovo and Turkey. And we just kind of knew that's part of the game of going overseas. There's going to be yeah. grandparents that are concerned and that's OK.
3: So what age were your kids like? How long ago was this trip? What are we talking about?
2: They, uh, when we started the trip, they were nine, six, and four. Nine, awesome. six, and, um, and four. I was four
3: when we left for
2: the and Caribbean. You did. Okay.
0: So nine okay. months, very cool, four continents, and all you mm-hmm. had were the backpacks on your back. Because a lot of people You're are held my backpacks by kids' ages. You know, Laura and I are talking about this. Yeah. You know, Lucy's five. We're going on tour for our first tour in 2018. Um, but we've talked about doing overseas things. Talk about the ages of children and mm-hmm. that holding people back.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the, the thing we realized whenever we decided it was a good time to go is that our kids were in this really great window that we kind of call called the golden age where mm. they were young enough still to not have too many roots yet. You know, like there, there weren't a lot of just deep relationships or commitments to certain extracurriculars that we would have to uproot and cause some kind of challenges for them, either when they return or whether they felt like they were missing out. Like I'm thinking of a teenager who might be part of a sports team mm-hmm. or, you yeah. know, who has some sort of track that they're heading towards for um, university or, or even just like deep relationships of some sort. We didn't really have that yet. You know, the kids are still young enough. And of course, you know, that's not to say when they're older, they can't do it. We, are, we still plan to go again, which I can talk about later, mm-hmm. um, when they're older. So th- there's still... Because that weights the bads then. But the reason we also waited until they were a little bit older is we wanted everybody to be out of diapers mm-hmm. and we know <laughs> we have some friends who travel um, with babies. And so that can even, that's not a reason to not go. Oh, but yeah. for us personally, all things being equal, we thought, well, let's at least give us a little bit of a, a heads up mm. by, our, you know, um, not dealing with diapers. And we wanted everyone to be old enough to carry their own backpack Um and so we wanted our youngest who was four to be able to carry a small backpack where with most most of his stuff so that we wow. weren't, you know, gonna be the pack mules of the whole thing. Now that doesn't mean we still didn't have to do a lot of that sometimes, but um he was able to carry most of his stuff and that was
0: great. Good and I bet him. he felt good about it too. Totally. That's a big sense of accomplishment to be four and to carry a backpack and to be tired and mm-hmm. you know to stick with it. We were talking about that. It teaches you, mm-hmm. learning hard work at a young age helps you in every other area in life because life is hard. You know, Not mm-hmm. getting the food yeah. you necessarily want mm-hmm. or sleeping in the place that you necessarily might or sleep in and, <laughs> or it's hot or there's no AC. Or there's bugs. Or, yeah. Mm. yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah the kids actually taught us a lot about that you I know because i think kids are pretty resilient and adaptable mm. um and sometimes more than we give them credit for and so you know i'd be sitting on a bus just thinking oh my gosh it's so crowded and hot and sweaty and i'd look over at my kids who were just like sitting there it was like okay i can do this too if they can do it mm. what did you learn most from
3: your kids
2: um well i would say that mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a large one i would say a lot of it um just kind of a learning posture You know, that we have a lot to learn about um, the world around us if we're willing to just sort of be a student and not come in and be like, you know, Mm -hmm. I already know what I know. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And then I think, you know, and and this is partly to do with the kids, partly to do with just kind of the nature of the of this sort of trip. But um, I was really reminded a lot of the time how small I am and that I, I mean this in the best way that I'm not that significant. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we in North America and us online in the digital world um, can sometimes have this skewed perspective of how important we are in the world when really we would be around our kids and all these other crowded people and it didn't matter, you know? Nobody knew who we were and nobody um, cared in the best of ways. Mm -hmm. And we were just parents with kids doing our thing just like everybody else. And so that was a good reminder.
1: Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Rebel
0: Parenting. Hey Rebels, this portion of the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Save the Storks. Save the Storks helps moms with an unplanned pregnancy, and that's my story. I was an unplanned pregnancy. My birth mom was 16 and faced an uphill battle, and a pregnancy resource center in her area helped her carrying me all the way to fruition, and then helped adopt me into my family. And Save the Storks helps pregnancy resource centers across the country with stork buses, providing mobile ultrasound machines, where four out of five moms choose life after seeing their baby on an ultrasound and hearing the heartbeat. Over 6,000 babies have been saved on stork buses. Please support Save the Storks with your prayers and visit savethestorks.com to become a monthly sponsor join the movement, and help us revolutionize the meaning of pro-life. For more information, visit SaveTheStorks.com. Welcome back
1: to Rebel Parenting. Did you miss us?
0: Tish, I'm thinking about the cultural things you learned from the different places you've been. I was talking to a child psychologist when uh, our daughter was an infant, and He was saying, you know, you really need to get her in her own room because it's better for the separation of a parent and a child and the developmental stages and all that. I looked at him, I said, you know, that's cultural, right? And he said, excuse me? I said, yeah, that's Western culture. Most of the world lives in one room. They don't have enough money for multiple rooms. This is cultural. And to his credit, he looked at me and went, that's very interesting. I'm going to have to think about that. So as you were traveling Mm -hmm. around... Talk about some of the places you visited, and then maybe some of the things you learned culturally that were different from our Western culture.
2: Sure. Well, you know, we had already traveled quite a bit before this, so <laughs> there weren't a lot of places where it was like, this is brand new, but hitting it square in the face, especially as a parent, um, it was it was it definitely tapped into my. Western sensibilities and made me realize how much of it was a part, more a part of me than I I wished it was. Um, you know, we we jumped into the deep end by going to Asia first, mm. and I say that because yeah. Asia is possibly the most um, different culturally than North America. Okay. And we even went straight, we even went straight to China, and China, you know, of course, is pretty um, modern, but it's still very Eastern in its uh, mindset. And it's way of thinking about um, what it means to be a people. And so one of the most obvious things for us was how little personal space we had. And I don't mm. just mean physically the amount of people there. I mean the autonomy, the um, the right to privacy. You know, in mm. China, they, um, it's, it's a communist mindset. And so there isn't this idea of the individual. And our kids mostly are light. They're, they're fair-skinned. They're blonde with blue eyes. And so they stand out in a sea of Asians. And um, so they were photographed all the time. And not only were they photographed, but we weren't asked. And that's the whole, like, lack of personal privacy and space and autonomy to your own self. And so people would just take pictures of our kids publicly all the time. and Or they would do it, um, they would just, like, pull my son into their family photo Mm -hmm. at some place, which we found just so strange. Like, why would you want a picture of this? stranger you don't know um and so at first it was like ha, ha ha that's funny cultural differences but by like week three or so in China I was I was very self-aware of how mother hen I had become mm. towards that what I felt was a right to autonomy and personal space mm. and for them it wasn't that they were being rude yeah. or they were being um inappropriate that is just what it's not a concept yes and, and <laughs> and our kids did great. They, um, they, some of them did better than others in terms of like putting up with that other, you know, some of the kids were like, uh, no. And they would they learned how to say no to, um, whenever they just didn't want it. And we wanted to respect that for them. You know, we didn't want to force them Mm -hmm. to do something they didn't want to do. But at the same time, it was just so interesting how that like bubbled up into me more than I thought it would. And how, as a mom, I got so protective of them, Mm -hmm. um, so that was a big one. I think the other thing um, at the same time, both with Asia and especially with Africa is how um, family oriented they are mm. and how, um, how much family trumps pretty much everything. You know, when we lived in Turkey and Kosovo, it was, it was like this too, but it was a good reminder that, you know, here in the US and North America, whenever we meet new people, um, we usually say our names and what we do. Like that's sort of, our title yes, that's how we present ourselves to the world mm-hmm. yeah well in Africa in Asia and a lot of these places it's not that it's um this is my name and this is my family like this is who I am like these, this is where I come from these are um, my people this is uh, the land that we own that kind of thing and um and so our kids became um instead of this barrier to experiencing things, they actually open doors mm. because kids are not seen as a liability. Kids are seen as a blessing, mm. and so, you know, we would go to a restaurant with our kids, and they would stop everything to let our kids come and 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 watch them work behind the kitchen to, you know, talk with them to interact. Um, you know, nobody ever saw the kids and thought like, oh no, here comes a lot of noise and chaos. Um, it was seen as you know a blessing, and so. It, it was really a very cool experience to to be welcomed as a family hmm. instead of a like put up with that I think sometimes we have in North America, you know.
0: Totally. That's interesting. We used to go to yeah. a, a a Korean restaurant here in town, and we were trying to adopt at the same time from South Korea, and I'm now remembering how welcoming they became, and they wanted to know who our kids were when we were there, and it was a very I remember being surprised by it. I didn't understand it. I'm now being reminded of it of they were so excited that we were, you know, interested in kids and and adopting kids.
2: Mhm. Yeah, yeah, it's really it was a really refreshing thing to be around. So, um, this idea that that the kids are are welcomed and valued.
3: I love that. I had a mentor I was doing a Bible study with a couple years ago and she always said when your kids interrupt you, that interruption is not a stab or an inconvenience? What if that interruption was God's way of saying like, slow down, notice this person, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think I I remember seeing that when I was in those other cultures of just kids aren't a distraction or an inconvenience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. You know,
2: like as somebody who um, took their work with them, you know, where Mm -hmm. we kind of had to find time to work and do our jobs in the fits and spurts of the day, wrapped around the kids, um, that became a reminder too, of like these interruptions or these, um, times where we were more the parent than mm-hmm. the entrepreneur or the, the person doing the work that we were doing, um, that very frequently trumped the work. And then we would just have to fit work in as it worked, you yeah. know, as, as we could.
3: So how do your kids, do they still talk about the trip? What's their, um, I guess their takeaway from the adventure?
2: Yeah, you know our kids are now um, twelve, almost ten, and seven, and mm. we still probably talk about the trips daily. <laughs> it's still it's still part of our family yeah. um, family background, of our family foundation, and um, part of our culture. You know, we're big into talking about the world and making it a thing that um, we're part of, instead of um, you know, being isolated or insular where we are. So mm. we talk about it a lot, you know, it depends on the ages yeah. because our, I would say our, our nine-year-old daughter, our oldest had a different experience than our four-year-old son where he was, he was a lot more of the like, sure, I'll just go wherever <laughs> we go. Cause that's what I do as a four-year-old. Mm-hmm. Whereas our nine-year-old, you know, had much more of a cognitive awareness of, um, the lay of the land, and also what was going on back home and what she was missing. Mm. So like she, for example, struggled some with loneliness, Mm -hmm. um, just not having um, friends around as much or not having her, you know, what she was used to in her room. And that became a real life lesson for her that she experienced. So that to this day, that becomes part of what she experienced now in her room with her friends, growing to appreciate those things. And yet at the same time, knowing that you know, we keep these things open-handed, and then our four-year-old, you know, are, are, who's now seven, is just now I think kind of realizing like, whoa, Italy's all the way over there, and that's, <laughs> oh, that's where sure. we were for a while, and mm. I really like it there, mm. and that's kind of neat that I like somewhere over there, and I have memories from over there, so yeah.
3: Oh, cool. Mm. Well, it's been 40 years since we went on our adventure, and any time mm. my brothers and I, I have uh, four brothers, and we get along, we get together, and we talk about the Makabusi. Mm-hmm. that was the name of our boat, and. Mm. We, it's just lifelong lessons and people ask you know my parents you know how'd you guys get kids that have done so well and good members of society and um we mm-hmm. we test it back to that adventure every my brothers all mm-hmm. work together we're all still connected we get along but we we were forced to get along we only had 55 feet <laughs> in order how to figure it yeah. out for two and a half years so yeah. there was no other option for us and it was the best thing that my parents could have done for our life. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's impressive because the, the tight spaces and the lack of um, alone
2: time, the lack of personal space is definitely one of my hardest parts as a mom, as an introvert, mm-hmm. you know, as an adult. Um, so I'm impressed with that amount of square footage. Yeah, it was fun.
0: Definitely. Now I want to go do it. <laughs> Were there anything right. during your adventure that was a consistent struggle? Was there anything that was just like, wow, this is, it's just hard in the travel.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's sort of two ideas. One is the one I just kind of alluded to this idea that you just don't have any alone time when you're doing something Mm -hmm. like this. Yeah. You know, Kyle and I, Kyle and I would tag team with like, okay, you go to a coffee shop and work then I'll go to a coffee shop and work. Yeah. But when it comes to like a lot of just what we're used to that we don't realize, you know, the kids go to bed and then you have a few minutes to yourself or you go to the grocery store and it's a place where you know where everything is. So you, even if it's not like relaxing, you're at least by yourself or Mm -hmm. something like that. Well, when you're constantly doing, um, constantly together, you just don't have that like guaranteed built in structure of, okay, now I'm going to have time that will make me, you know, feel a little bit more like myself or restore myself. For sure. You just never have that. Mm. But I remember when we were in New Zealand by Christmas and I was just about to lose it because mm. I remember, you know, I had a friend in Australia ask me like, oh, so you must love being around your kids all the time. <laughs> well. I mean, I do love them, and I mean the flip side of that same point is the constant togetherness yeah. was probably the best thing, you know, the bonding sure. for us um, as as a clan. Mm-hmm. But it was still hard in the day to day, you know, to have that like, oh my gosh, you again, you know, kind of feeling. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and then honestly, the other part of it is traveling. Like once you're out there, mm-hmm. it's I find a lot easier to just enjoy. The being there, but the getting there, those what we call travel days. So those are the days we're moving from like one city to another yeah. or one country to another. Mm. Or even one continent to another. Those were always a bit on the stressful side. Okay. Because that's when you have to like, Okay, where's my stuff? Does everyone yeah. have their paper so, in order? <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah.
2: Like are we gonna get to our the right gate? Are mm. we gonna deal you know, those kinds of things, those were always so tiring. But like once we got to Africa or Europe or wherever, um, then it, it was easier to be in the moment. But those were definitely testing days for me.
0: And that's probably one of the reasons why you just took a backpack per person because you're not saying, you know, you've got eight bags and three backpacks and, you know, all uh-huh. these different things you keep track of. You've got a very limited amount of things. What did that do for you when you come home? You know, you live for nine months with whatever you've got on your shoulders and then you come home to a house full of stuff. What, is it, what does it teach you about the lifestyle that we all live?
2: Well, you know, honestly, that ended up being probably one of my favorite things about this kind of trip. <laughs> you know, Beforehand, you know, I write about Simple Living, and I we had already not had a lot of stuff, but we definitely had more than one backpack per person. It was honestly so freeing mm. to only have that much stuff for that amount of time. Right. Um, you know, there's this idea of a paradox of choice where when we have more choices, we actually feel more stressed instead of fewer choices. For sure. And we definitely experienced that, you know, when I have three T-shirts, um, you know, which one am I going to wear today as opposed to a closet full of clothes? Um, and when we first packed, I remember the day before we left, I looked at, I had my journal and I had a pen and I remember thinking kind of in a laughing way, I wonder how long I'm going to, uh, have this pen. Like how long till I lose this pen and I'm going to need to buy another one. Hmm. What well, turned out I had that pen the entire time. What? Like I somehow miraculously kept up with my one pen for the entire nine months. Here in the States, I lose a ton of weeks, I feel like. Yeah. You know, totally. That's it's like I never know where my stuff is. Right. Yeah. And so to me, it mm. was like an interesting lesson of like when you have fewer things, you take better care of mm. them. You keep track of your things. And so when we came back, it was definitely a bit hard to, uh, to I don't know, <laughs> adjust back. Even though we, we didn't have much stuff, we still felt like we had too much. So we got rid of even more than we had. Mm. And it's still I, I still look back on that trip and dream about just having a backpack <laughs> like i would love to, to return to that kind of lifestyle it was great
3: so tish tell me when is your and kyle's next adventure because we want to follow you uh, you're my hero <laughs> today i yeah. just want to yeah just throw that out well
2: well <laughs> thanks there's um there's kind of two trains of thought for us now we want to take one more big trip before our oldest leaves the house so she's now 12 so we have about Twelve and a half, and a half, actually. So we have about five years mm-hmm. before we go on a big trip like this again. I don't know when that's going to be. Okay. You know, I don't, we need to consider the ages of them and kind of what I was saying earlier, like without um, kind of hijacking whatever she has going on in her life. But there's also the flip side of that. We, one thing we realize is that we do enjoy what, what we call slow travel. We enjoy going to fewer places deeper and so um, we've also toyed around with the idea of, um, you know, we're, we're working on a fixer-upper right now. So mm. the, um, the funds that we have is going towards that. But once we're done, possibly even, you know, starting as soon as next summer, but definitely has not then the summer after that, just going for a six-week trip mm-hmm. and going just to one or two countries and doing that every summer or every other summer or something like that. So basically, it could, we're, we're kind of doing either a mini trip, which is still pretty big, I realize. Um, either in a year or two or another big, some form of big trip in about five years. Mm, Awesome.
0: Awesome. Totally love it. Tish, thank you so much. It's given us so much inspiration. I can tell you the conversation Laura and I are going to have over the next, (laughs) I don't know, six months until we get (laughs) on the road. Uh, We've been talking about this since the day we got married. Yep. Uh, we just interviewed Roger Thompson, who wrote a book called We Stood Upon Stars, about adventure travels with his family. And so this theme mm. keeps coming up. Thank you. Thank you for sharing <laughs> mm-hmm. your life with us. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You're welcome. I'm glad to be here.
0: Absolutely. And anything you do, again, we'd love to find out about it. For so we'll sure. tell our listeners where to find you. Where's Do you have Instagram? Are you on Instagram and all that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's at Tish Writer. Um which, you know, is, my name is spelled kind of weird. But um uh, Chris writer, and then I'm on Twitter at Tish and my main hub site where you can find the podcast and the books and everything else is theartofsimple.net. So awesome. everything's there. Great.
0: We'll put all that up yeah. online. Thank yeah. you, Tish. We appreciate talking Thank to you. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening, Rebels. We love you. We appreciate you. Thanks for sharing this with your friends. My goodness, it helps us grow. Thanks for supporting our sponsors like Blinkist. Blinkist.com slash rebelparenting. B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash rebelparenting. They do 15-minute summaries of nonfiction books and our friends at The Voice of the Martyrs. Persecution.com is their website, providing materials, resources, and help to those being persecuted for our gospel around the world for more than 50 years. God bless, Rebels. We'll see you soon.
1: Rebel Parenting is produced by Rebel Media House. And when you need a little help with your marriage or parenting, and everyone does, you can find it at rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the Rebel Update by texting the word rebel to 444 That's R-E-B-E-L. And the number is 444-999. We love it when you share Rebel Parenting with your friends and family, so thank you. God bless. Thanks for spending your time with us. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Rebel Parenting.